Good morning. I want us to begin with a, a prayer this morning. Will you bow with me? God, thank you for today. And Father, for the next few moments as we study, I pray that your word will teach us. Father, help our hearts to be open and that you will be number one in our lives. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. In our study of freedom, we know that Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead, not just to save us from our souls, but to set us free. And so we've been talking about different kinds of freedoms and that we remove our grave clothes to be free in Christ. And today I want us to study and to address what might be the biggest um, prison of all. And, and I don't know that there's a single one of us that doesn't battle this to some degree. I want to address the prison of greed. I think the evidence of a culture of greed is everywhere. You may have caught this on the news. Back in February of this year, 2015, the Salt Lake Tribune first reported it and then it went to all the news outlets. <clears throat> Barbara, Bag <clears throat> Barbara Bagley, <clears throat> Barbara Bagley is her name, she won the right to sue herself. Yes. The Utah Court of Appeals ruled that she could legally sue herself for her own negligent driving that caused the death of her husband. Because she was administering her late husband's estate, she felt it was her duty to seek compensation from the insurance company for wrongful death damages, even though she was the negligent driver. And if her lawsuit prevails, she'll receive a settlement for the damages that she caused. I know, you're just shaking your head. But isn't it just so evident that it's harder and harder for us as a society to accept the consequences of our choices? of the things that we do. Greed may be the largest prison of all, and I think we've all spent time as inmates. Let me share the story of two men stranded on a desert island. The first felt very frantic. If we don't get food, if we don't get water, we're going to die until someone comes to rescue us. So he goes at it. And the second one was so calm, even kicked back under a palm tree to take a nap, as if he was on a vacation. So the first guy didn't understand that. and said, why don't you help me find some food? We've got to find some fresh water. We're not going to make it. And the second guy says, you don't understand, I make $100,000 a week. Well, the guy said, well, so what? That's not going to help us here. We need food. We need water. He said, you don't get it. He said, I make $100,000 a week. I give a 10% of that to my church. I'm telling you, my elders and my preachers are going to come find me. Greed is no respecter of person. One author said the virus of greed infects all, regardless of race, class, gender, or economic status. But most of us treat virus like the common cold. Just kind of happens, just kind of part of life, and assume there's more pressing conditions to address. And in so doing, what we do is we downplay it, and we don't address the root What's really going on? And I use that word intentionally because Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. There's so much stuff and garbage in life that affects you. But this root that we're talking about often lies undiagnosed. And we don't even suspect that it's there. 
Here's the first blank, the first point. Greed lies behind most of our bigger problems. Greed lies behind most of our bigger problems. And I use that word bigger on purpose. I'll explain that more in a moment. For example, an antique dealer goes into an old junk store and to his amazement finds on the floor this ancient piece of china from the Ming Dynasty. It's priceless. And it's being used as a, as a saucer for, for milk for a cat. And he's thinking, this owner doesn't know what they've got. And so he doesn't want to act surprised or astonished at what's going on. So he goes up to the, uh, the store owner and said, you know, that cat looks a lot like the one my daughter just lost and she's just heartbroken. I'd love if you'd sell your cat to me here and lay down five $100 bills. I won't take no for an answer. And held the cat. And the man said, well, okay, I'll sell you the cat. He said, well, I've got to have something to, to feed it with, so why don't you just throw in that saucer for $5? Well, the store owner grabbed that money, put it in his pocket, and said, oh no, you don't understand. That's a piece from the Ming Dynasty. It's priceless. But you know, ever since I started feeding that cat out of it, I have sold seven cats. <laughs> See, greed is everywhere. And so many of the bad decisions we make have as their root greed. And here's where I want to go with this. And I want you to be honest with this in your own study, with your prayer with the Lord. It's like, where are you guilty? Not how, but when and where. It's not if. All of us, I think, serve time in this prison. So I want to challenge you to think with me and study with this. Because until you deal with greed, your own greed, you're not going to be able to even see the other prisons that have you chained. It's necessary to escape the prison of greed in order to escape the other ones. The chains of greed and money problems can weigh down our marriages. They influence foolish financial decisions. They affect our sense of self-worth. See, if you have self-esteem issues, maybe because it goes back to your self-worth is dependent upon your net worth, so you're never going to escape that prison of poor self-esteem until you deal with greed and you go to the root of the issue. And a common prison and a heavy burden is fear and worry, and it goes with it. It's part of it. Because we don't have control of tomorrow. But greed promises it can take care of tomorrow. Just get a little bit more, and then you're going to be okay. Then you'll be set, and then we get stuck in prison. And by the way, we bring greed to church with us too. Because if it's a people problem, it's a church problem. You don't check that at the door. Greed lies behind most of the bigger problems in church, like hypocrisy. Remember in Acts chapter 5, there's the couple that pretended to be generous, Lied to the Holy Spirit. It was all about how they looked. They wanted to look right. It causes relational strife. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, I can't believe you Christians are going to court against your brothers and sisters. This should not be. Think about what you're saying in all of that. Greed lies behind partiality. In James 2, the rich are getting treated better than the poor. See, so much of our bigotry and racism... And sexism and classism has at its root greed. 
we're doing our home Bible studies, I always share the outline and the study guide with John Simmons. He's one of our shepherds, and you know, part of the role of a shepherd is to feed the flock, and I like to get his insight and say, are we, are, we, are we doing well with this? Is there something we've missed? And let me just share a little comment he shared with me this time, and I appreciate his feedback. It's so good, I want you to hear it. In addition to greed being a form of idolatry, it's also in conflict with the commands not to covet or steal, going back to the Ten Commandments. One reason I think people don't think they are infected with the greed virus is that we have a way of stereotyping greed in some way that we are not. If you are poor, then only the rich are greedy. If you're rich, only the poor are greedy because they want what you have. Thus, we are never the problem. There's no stereotype for greed. Some of the richest people I know are not and have never been greedy. And some of the greediest people I know are poor. We all need what Paul learned, how to be content in whatever state we're in. Jesus had an amazing gift. I guess it was just God in the flesh of being able to see it. When no one else would see it, He would see it in people. And He would speak to it. We'd be blind to it, but He would see it. One time a man came up to Jesus for help. Evidently the father had died. He wanted Jesus to be the arbiter between him and his brother to settle the estate. And Jesus detected the greed virus. Look at the screen, Luke 12, 15. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Some versions say, be aware. I think it's worth noting that Jesus, go back and look, is not seen saying, beware, watch out for adultery, or drunkenness, or stealing, or fighting, because typically we can self-diagnose, yeah, I'm there, I've done that, I'm guilty of that. But despite all the symptoms, nobody thinks they have a greed problem. Somebody else has the greed problem. A couple of years ago, Millard Fuller of Habitat Humanity was speaking to a group of preachers, and they were talking about the issues of feeding the poor and the challenge of that. And the, pre the preachers in this open discussion concluded that the reason why Christians were not able to be more generous with the poor is because they're so tied up with their own greed. So Fuller then asked a seemingly innocent question, do you think it's possible to build a house so large that it could be considered offensive, even sinful, in the eyes of God? That's a good question. And the, all the, the preachers were, you know, shaking their head, well, yeah, I think so. And then he asked this question, at what point is a house big enough to be considered too sinful to occupy? And nobody had an answer. And then one preacher spoke up and said what everyone was thinking when it's bigger than mine. That's how we think, isn't it? When it's bigger than mine. See, we see greed in other people. We spot it all over the place. I don't know how they can do that. I don't know how they can sleep at night. How can they be so caught up in that and not see it? But we can't see it in the mirror. We can't see it in ourselves. We cannot detect our own infection. So are you showing any of these symptoms? We're talking about this more in our study guide tonight. Let me ask you these questions. Do you plan life more around finances than God's mission? Here's another question. 
Does your mind wander more to the next material thing to have? Or the trip to go on to the next concert or experience? Or the next spiritual goal that God would have you to pursue? Do you prefer to be around those who have much more than those who do not? Do you get a sense of unease whenever the elders talk about money or budget or a need at church that requires money? Or maybe we're preaching a lesson about what the Bible says about money. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Do you struggle to rejoice and enjoy when you see somebody else prospering? Do you struggle to enjoy what you have and not want more? That's why we have these home Bible studies. To ask these questions. To take what we talk about Sunday mornings and make it personal. If you're not in a study, at least grab the study guide. That's why we put them in every bulletin. You go home personally, privately, and spend time with God on this and understand what God is teaching us about this huge prison. See, in Luke 12, Jesus gives a parable, a picture to illustrate this man who's in bondage to grief. And the reality is, as you and I read through this story, we would picture this man as a success and say, wait a minute, this man is doing well. In fact, most of us would like to trade places with him. He's had a good year. It's been profitable. Everything's going well. Look at your Bible there. Luke 12, verse 16. He told them this parable. The ground, a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Let me ask you, does that not sound like the American dream? Doesn't it? As we call it, work hard. He worked hard. He had a good year, a profitable year. And so now he has to decide how he's going to handle his success. Is that not what we tell our kids early on? Go to school and get an education so you can get a good job. She can earn good money. She can retire early. She can take care of yourself. Do what you want. Eat, drink, and be merry. Is how Jesus said it. What he did not understand is that he had a bigger problem than he realized. But Jesus continues with the words, but God. And anytime you're reading in Scripture and it says, but God, you need to be paying attention. But God said to him, verse 20, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you, who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. See, greed is not about what you have, but about what has you. What has your heart? If you've got your outline open there on the back of the bulletin, there's three questions I want you to ask yourself. One for each point. And the first one is this. Ask yourself, am I building a barn or a prison? Am I building a barn or a prison with my life? Because sometimes a prison looks just like a brand new barn. Or a brand new house. Or a brand new car. Now, we don't use those words. We're talking about easy financing. But what if they said, how long would you like to be in jail? For 48 months? Or 60 you know, we think twice about that, wouldn't we? Before we sign on the dotted line. But that's how it's couched in our Word. 
See, greed is a prison, and here's why. Number two, greed ties our hearts to small stuff. Greed ties our hearts to small stuff. And greed exalts self. It's all about self. The focus is self. Notice, and these are words straight out of Jesus' mouth here about how successful this man was. He says, I have, I'll do, I will, I'll say. It's all about him. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about Him. And whenever we make ourselves most important, we inevitably make the small things in life big things. And those become our focus. And we exchange in the process God's big mission for all this small stuff. And that's what greed does. It just pushes God aside. It doesn't ask you to deny God. You just get so preoccupied, next thing you know, you're shackled to this small stuff, and then you're not free to do the mission of God. Maybe you heard the story about the preacher who got a call to go to another church, and he didn't want to move, and he talked about, you know, things are going well here, and, and they take care of me here. And so the other church said on the phone, we'll double your salary. We want you to be our preacher. Well, he hung up the phone and he told his wife about the call. She said, what do we do? He said, I must go upstairs and spend time with God in prayer and meditate and decide what His will is. And she goes, oh, let me go up there with you and I'll pray with you. She said, no, honey, you stay down here and start packing. <laughs> That's the way we are, isn't it? I mean, we laugh about it, but it's true. God is always displaced whenever greed is displayed. And whenever you see the display of God, this display of greed, God is being pushed aside. Paul wrote this, Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. What's greed? It's idolatry is what Paul says. The New Living Translation says it like this, Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of the world. Same message in Ephesians 5, 5. But I want you to note here, an idolater is not a person who gets on his knees and bows to a graven image. An idolater is someone who looks to something or someone to do for them that ultimately only God can do. That's an idolater. Ephesians 5, 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So when Scripture talks about being kept out of the kingdom of God, I don't think he's talking about just the next life. I think he's talking about now. That this greed locks us into this prison of having to tend to all these petty things, these small things. And it keeps our hearts and our lives from engaging the mission of God. And we're the ones that miss out. This is what God's trying to do through us. And we're shackled. And we can't participate with Him. A little later in Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells the story of the poor man Lazarus. Do you remember that story? He's the one who is on the outside of the gate. And as Jesus describes it there, the rich man is dressed in his best clothes, lived in luxury. What would that be for us today? How do you define luxury? Is that like a 60, 80 inch television? Is that luxury? Chef's kitchen? Nice workshop out back, C-Do's, four-wheelers, PlayStation 4. What's luxury to you? This man had it all. And beyond the gate, 
is Lazarus. Lazarus is a beggar. Lazarus needed help. Now understand this. Lazarus is not a cheat. Lazarus is not trying to work the system. Lazarus is a good man who's going through some bad times and needed help. And the way Jesus describes this picture, this gate kept Lazarus out. But also note that the gate kept the rich man in. He was in prison. And he didn't even know it. It became his prison. It was keeping him from the mission of God. And he had no clue. And the story ends with a rich man being sent to an eternal prison. And in reality, it's just a continuation of the prison that had already been going on. But he, didn't even, he wasn't even aware of it. Back to Luke 12. What about the man with the bigger barn? The message paraphrases the end of Luke 12. I think the way we would say it today, Luke 12, verse 21, I put this on the screen. This is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. This is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Life is much more, much bigger than the accumulation of stuff. But if you do not believe in the truth of Scripture... And if your number one goal is to get as much as you can for as long as you can so that you can retire as soon as you can and still leave enough for your children to fight over when you die, if that's your mission in life, then you don't agree with any of this. Maybe even wishing you weren't here today. But if we exist for a purpose, it's got to be bigger than all this small stuff. So here's question number two. Am I pursuing the good life, as we call it, or a good life? See, the problem is not what we make. The problem is what we miss when we stay inside our prison of greed. So we're told to be rich toward God. How do we do that? How are we rich toward God? I can't write a check to God. You can't either. But we can write one to Lazarus. And when you write one to Lazarus, you're given to God. That's what we see throughout Scripture. 1 John 3, 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And the chains of greed are broken when money ceases to be an end and it becomes the means. And here's where I think we get confused. You inoculate yourself against the virus not by taking a vow of poverty. Understand that. You inoculate yourself from this virus not by taking a vow of poverty, but by taking a vow of generosity. Make the money. Pray for God to give you a prosperous year. And then be generous with that. Just to live in poverty doesn't bless anyone unless you have that generous spirit. Listen, it wasn't wrong for that man to be rich. It wasn't wrong for the man to put his harvest in the barn. Note that. But he got to the point when it was more than he needed. 
Why was it all about him? Remember? I have. I'll do. I'll build. I want. Me, me, me. Why did he not feed the poor at his door? His door? Because of greed. That's why not. It's such a deceptive prison. But here's the truth. It can die. And that's point number three. Greed dies when no one else, when we help, uh, when we help others to live. Greed dies when we help others to live. We will never, never be able to say no to greed until we say yes to something bigger. And that's really what has to happen. And the irony is freedom is found. Freedom is found when you get lost in the mission of God. Freedom is found when you get lost in the mission of God. When Paul was saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus, the leaders there, it was a moment that he knew was special because he, didn't, he would never see them again. You ever had a goodbye like that? When there's someone that you don't know that you're ever going to see them again. It's the kind of goodbye where you have the bear hug and the deep sob kind of tears because you love them deeply. And you cherish that moment. What do you say? What are your words when you know you're never going to see them again? Look at what Paul wrote. What Paul said. Acts 20, verse 32. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Himself is more blessed to give than to receive. What an amazing description of a good life. And notice what He says here in the text. You say yes to the gospel of grace. You say yes to the gospel of grace and then you live lives of radical generosity. That was his message to these men that he would never see again. And that's something we need to take to heart. So here's question number three. Am I entitled or entrusted? Am I entitled or entrusted? Because if I am entrusted... I'm not a reservoir. I'm not a barn. I'm a conduit. All that I have, all that I'm blessed with, is so that I can bless others. So that God's goodness and mercy flow through me. When we were born again, it was for a bigger purpose than what our culture tells us. And folks, I'm telling you, you're going upstream You're going to think like no one else in this world because this is really in God's economy. And in God's economy, when you bless others, you're blessed. And when you free others, you free yourself. Like you, this week I've been bothered by the news of the death of Roberta Edwards. We announced this last Sunday. Her tragic shooting, the kidnapping of little Jojo. It was just sort of hard to take it all in. Some of you didn't know her at all. Some of you have been there. 
You've been in her home. Some of you have heard her speak. I think all of us have seen posts about her. A Christian woman who years ago, her husband left her. So what did she do? She rolls up her sleeve and gets to work. Giving herself to others. I saw many tributes to her. But I want to close by reading one tribute from someone you know. Lauren Pinkston, one of our missionaries in Laos, who spent time with her. Here's what Lauren said. I'll tell you what's been on my heart and mind. Go ahead and show the picture, if you will. I'll tell you what's been on my heart and mind. It's all about this woman. The first woman I witnessed giving her absolute all for the vulnerable children of a developing world. She served in Haiti for 20 years and acclimated to the culture almost completely. Her Creole was so perfect, no one could tell that she was from North Carolina, except that she spoke differently. One day at the grocery store, the cashier stopped her and said, you're not from here, are you? She said, no, I'm not. Did I say something wrong? How did you know? The cashier replied, because you said thank you when I handed you your change. Roberta Edwards loved deeply, lived selflessly, and walked fearlessly. And she was killed Saturday night by a group of armed gunmen who ambushed her vehicle and kidnapped this little boy. Lauren continues, I still don't know what to say, but I want our society to know Jesus apart from from all the pretty staged Bible reading posts and Christian community tablescapes. Can we just quit trying so hard to make our faith beautiful and instead make it real? Roberta's house was full of clothes to hand out to desperate mothers and diapers to put on orphan children. Her living room was lined with desks for kids to study. Her kitchen had stacks and stacks of plates where she fed 100 plus neighborhood kids twice a day. She didn't have to pretend. Her faith was no joke. And she didn't have to talk about it on social media because she was too busy living it. These are modern day heroes I want, I want to salute. And I want my prayers to be focused on little boys like Jojo here facing who knows what terrors. And she closes with a prayer. Lord, forgive my utterly disgusting, self-centered, materialistic life. May I honor Roberta Edwards by focusing less on Christian image and learning to love more like your son. You want to know what prison looks like? Go home and look at all your little stuff. You want to know what freedom looks like? Right there. That's freedom. Losing yourself in the mission of God, you find your own freedom. We can all be free from greed. That's why Jesus came. But it takes you personally, privately, having time with God. Say, God, open 
my eyes. I guarantee you we're all shackled in some way. But if we will break free, He can use us like never before. Our invitation is always open. If we can pray for you with whatever it is you need, maybe it has nothing to do with the topic today, but we as your brothers and sisters want to help you to get to heaven. And we'll gladly pray for you. Or if today you need to name the name of Jesus Christ, and just like Anna Marie, let Him make you a new creation through baptism. We offer that as well. Won't you come as we stand and sing?